Psalm 77 is our text this morning. It's a great psalm. If you have your Bibles, please open it up to Psalm 77. If you don't have a Bible, there are these black Bibles in the chairs in front of you. I say this often, but if you don't have a Bible, take one of these home. It is our gift to you. I love buying new Bibles because people are taking me up on this offer right here. So if you're in that Bible, we're going to be on page 488. And if you will, let us show reverence to God's word as we stand and read it together. All right, Psalm 77. I cry aloud to God, aloud to God, and he will hear me. In the day of my trouble, I seek the Lord. In the night, my hand is stretched out without wearying. My soul refuses to be comforted. When I remember God, I moan. When I meditate, my spirit faints. Selah. You hold my eyelids open. I am so troubled that I cannot speak. I consider the days of old, the years long ago. I said, let me remember my song in the night. Let me meditate in my heart. Then my spirit made a diligent search. Will the Lord spurn forever and never again be favorable? Has his steadfast love forever ceased? Are his promises at an end for all time? Has God forgotten to be gracious? Has he in his anger shut up his compassion? Selah. Then I said, I will appeal to this, to the years of the right hand of the Most High. I will remember the deeds of the Lord. Yes, I will remember your wonders of old. I will ponder all your work and meditate on your mighty deeds. Your way, O God, is holy. What God is great like our God? You are the God who works wonders. You have made known your might among the peoples. You, with your arm, redeemed your people, the children of Jacob and Joseph. Selah. When the waters saw you, O God, when the waters saw you, they were afraid. Indeed, the deep trembled. The clouds poured out water. The skies gave forth thunder. Your arrows flashed on every side. The crash of your thunder was in the whirlwind. Your lightnings lighted up the world. The earth trembled and shook. Your way was through the sea, your path through the great waters, yet your footprints were unseen. You led your people like a flock by the hand of Moses and Aaron. This is God's word. Heavenly Father, we thank you for Psalm 77. This is a great song. It's a song about life, and in particular, it's about the troubles of life and how Asaph battled through this song. Gives us insight to, to his heart, which uh, many of us, probably just reading that, could resonate with. So, Lord, give us eyes to see and ears to hear uh, of your word this morning and how one of your fellow uh, saints, one of our brothers in the faith, walked through trials. In the end, he saw your glory, your goodness to him through the walking through the Exodus story and salvation and, and redemption through ultimately points us to Christ. And that's where our foundation is this morning, that we stand on the foundation of Christ. So when the winds and the rains come, that we will be standing firm on that, on that rock, which cannot be torn down or knocked off because of your goodness to us and holding us still there. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Guys, go ahead and be seated. We're probably going to, as, as many of you guys know, uh, 
school starts tomorrow, so you can be praying for me and my wife. We need a little extra measure of grace. And one of the reasons why is you always got those newbies that are dropping off their kid in the drop-off line, right, that don't know what they're doing, right? And so there can tend to be some, uh, some anger, some frustration. So you guys can be praying uh, for me when I do that, and in particular my wife when she gets to do that tomorrow, as well as some of you. You probably, who knows, who knows my pain? Who knows that pain right there, right? People don't know how to drop off their kids. It's not that hard. You follow the arrow that goes that way, right? You just follow the arrow. So anyways, Psalm 77, 1 through 20. School is starting tomorrow, and, and summer, that means summer vacations are kind of coming to a close, coming to an end. And, and this summer uh, for the Santinis and really the crossing body, has, we've seen some joys. We've had some great things happen, some great celebrations. Some, some babies have been born. Some, uh, some marriages have been consummated and come together, and we rejoice with that. But also, this summer, unlike his summers in the past, at least for the crossing, the last years that we can remember, is that there's been a little bit more suffering. There's been a little bit more pain. There's been a little bit more trials that seem to be around. Several of you in this body uh, in particular have dealt with the passing of a loved one. Could have been a, a wife, a, a mom, a, a dad, an a uncle, a cousin, a grandmother, a, a close friend. Many of us have experienced uh, loss over the last handful of months. And this past week, I lost another dear friend, and, and many, some of you guys know him as well, John Williams. He was a, a friend of mine, a guy I was coaching church plan in Arizona. It's a church that we support. Uh, he lost his uh, fight with cancer. Two, two years he battled with it. And he's, a, he's in the mid-30s, and he leaves behind four, four children under the age of 15 with his wife. And and then later, uh, earlier this year, Reed and I have a close friends that found out their daughter had a mass on her brain, and, and it was causing her issues, and then she has to go and get surgery and, and, and take it off. And her mom's response, uh, Christian, lover of Jesus, was this. It's like, I'm mad at the Lord. Why is He letting this happen? Have, you ever felt, have any of you guys ever felt like that, or, or had that question uh, in your mind, or that thought? Uh, are you there right now? walking through a difficult trial. Could be physical, could be financial, could be emotional, could be relational, but you're walking through a difficult time, a time of trouble, a time of suffering. And this is why we're ending the, the summer in the Psalm 77, because we have walked through that, many of us, again, over this last summer. Uh, suffering, trial, tribulation has been very, very real. It's at the, the front door of our, of our home and in our hearts. And so, Asaph, the writer of this psalm, gives us a glimpse in how he handled suffering. All the emotions that go with it, and and it shows us that we experience the same emotional trials, trouble, as a man did some thousands of years ago. It's a very real psalm. It's a very human psalm. It's a very raw psalm. I love how one talked about the Psalms. He said this about the Psalms. He said, much of Scripture speaks to us, but the Psalms speak for us. They give us insight into the human condition and the the roller coaster of emotions in life. This is a Psalm that will help us walk through suffering. 
And, and, and this is part of what we want to do as, as pastors, as leaders, as the crossing, is, is we want to help you, we want to help ourselves walk through suffering. We live in a Genesis 3 world, and in a couple of weeks we're going to start going through the book of Genesis, and, and we understand that sin entered this world in Genesis 3, and, it's, and now it's been broken, and there's pain, and there's suffering, and we want, to, we want to help you and help us walk through suffering well, because it's the reality of life. Every one of us in here will suffer. So this is what we're going to focus on in Psalm 77. So let's look at verse 1 together. And what we see in verses 1 through 9 is we see the heart in trouble. The heart in trouble. Asaph is the author of this psalm, and we're familiar with him as we've been going through Summers of Song the last, I think, five years. We've, we've covered a couple of his psalms, in particular Psalm 78, one of my favorites. And Asaph was uh, one of David, King David's chief musician writers, so songwriters. He was like the, the Shane of Shane for David, the David Crowder uh, for King David. He wrote these great psalms that would, that would lead the people of Israel in worship. He wrote at least 12 of them. He wrote Psalm 50 and then Psalm 73 through 83. So we see from Asaph, he, he's put more ink in the Bible than the Apostle Peter or James. So this is a guy that God used who wasn't a prophet or a teacher or a pastor, but he was a songwriter. And that just shows that how the Lord uses all of us in our giftings to bless the body. Here, our body parts, our church is blessed with gifted songwriters and gifted musicians. We were just led by gifted musicians and, and singing uh, our, our songs to the Lord and raising our hearts in praise and worship. So we're thankful for that. Now, we're not sure what the particular trouble is for Asaph. He doesn't say what it is or for the nation. And so it's real good for all of us thousands of years later because it can apply to any circumstance or trouble situation that we are in. And it applies and it's relevant to us. Psalm 77.1 says this, I cry aloud to God. Aloud to God, he will hear me. And we see that Asaph starts out the psalm like going 100 miles an hour. He doesn't just gradually you know, get into the psalm with a quiet prayer for help. But it says he's crying out, and not just crying out, but crying out aloud. And notice it's repeated twice. He's screaming to God for help. Again, this is more than a somber prayer, but it's a, it's a cry out of pain. It's a, it's a cry for rescue. It's a cry for help. And it's not just a one-time prayer. He doesn't just do this right before he goes to bed. Notice, it's all day and it's all long. Verse 2. In the day of my trouble, I seek the Lord. In the night, my hand is stretched out without wearying. So you see, he even gives the posture. He's pleading. He's either on his knees or he's just head is bowed and he's stretching out his arms and he's crying for the Lord for help, for relief. We just, and, and it goes on to say this I stretch my uh, out with wearying. My soul refuses. My soul refuses to be comforted. When I remember God, I moan. When I remember God, I moan. I meditate. My spirit faints. How about those verses right there? Those are some of the most honest and raw verses in all of Scripture. Asaph is crying out to the Lord. And when he cries out, what's his heart's response? It's not only what we sang a couple weeks ago, that song, when I, when I think about the Lord, I what? I, 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 and I remember His salvation. It does something to me. What does it do? It, it causes me to, to praise Him and to sing songs of praise. Well, here, when Asaph remembers the Lord, he doesn't do that. He, he moans. 
He doesn't get the warm, fuzzy feelings, but his soul moans and his spirit faints. That word moan gives us a clear picture of Asaph's heart condition, where he's at in this moment, in this situation. It's a deep, dark valley. That word moan in other places uh, talks about it's the the noisiness of the street or the, the rushing water. It's an unsettled feeling. In other places, it's described as a howling dog. When I think about the Lord, I moan like a howling dog. I think all of us have seen, uh, or say like, that's one of the most saddest pictures on the planet is when we see a dog that's hurting, and he's just, the dog is, is howling, is crying out, right? His eyes are droopy, his ears are down, his tail is tucked in, and he's just moaning because he's in a difficult situation. And that's where Asaph is. Have you ever been there? Are you there right now? And notice it just keeps getting worse in verses 4 through 9. It says in verse 4, he says, I can't sleep. You, you hold my eyelids open. He, he goes on, he says, I can't speak. I'm so troubled that I, I cannot speak. And then we see in verse 6, Asaph again tries to remember the Lord. He's, he's trying to focus on the Lord and make a diligent search. And then all of a sudden, these questions pop in the head, more questions. And, and the questions are wondering if the Lord loves him. If the Lord is, is still there. Or has he forsaken him? Now, of course, the answer to those questions, of course not, the Lord has not forsaken him. Of course not, the Lord still loves him. But in that moment, there is doubt. Have you ever been in that place? Have you ever laid in your bed, unable to sleep, thinking about the trouble circumstance you're in? Have you ever been so troubled that you can't even speak? You're speechless. And that led you to question the Lord and His promises and His faithfulness. Have you ever been there? I know I've been there. been walking the Lord for about 30 years. And I've, there's been a handful of situations where this describes my exact emotional state. This describes my heart. How about you? Charles Spurgeon if we were to rank maybe the top 10 Christians in the history of the world, Charles Spurgeon, I think, would definitely be in one of the top 10. He's one of the great, greatest preachers of all time. And this is what he said when he was uh, preaching through Psalm 77, 1 through 9, off, out of his commentary. Uh, we know that Charles Spurgeon, in this particular time when he's preaching through the Psalms, was, was struggling with gout, physically, tremendous pain in his joints, and also spiritual depression. Throughout most of his life, this great man of God struggled emotionally with depression. And this is what he said about Psalm 77, 1 through 9. He says, some of us know what it is, both physically and spiritually, to, to be compelled to use these words. No respite has been afforded us by the silent of the night. Our beds have been a rack to us. Our bodies and our mind have been in torment and our spirit in anguish. Have you ever been there? Are you there now? So what can we learn from Asaph's situation in 1 through 9 in this deep, dark trial, this troubled event, circumstance that he is walking through? Let me just give us three quick applications. And hopefully this will help us walk through times of trial and suffering. Number one, sometimes when the trial hits, and we, we start to think and turn to the Lord in trouble, it can initially make things worse 
and not better. Can you get that? Sometimes when trial hits and we, and we exercise the spiritual disciplines, we go immediately to prayer. We, we confess sin. We, we go to church. Sometimes, initially, it makes it worse. The circumstance, the trial. You're looking at your trouble. Again, you're praying. You're seeking the Lord. You're reading your Bible. You're asking for answers, but it doesn't seem to bring relief immediately. And, and, and the reason why it's so confusing to us, and it leads us to ask questions like, where, where are you, Lord? Have, have you forgotten about me? Is you, have you forgotten your covenant with me? The reason why is because in times past when we struggle and we pray and we ask the Lord, he, He's there immediately, and He answers us, and He gives us peace, and He gives us joy in the midst of that trial. But here, it's not immediate. He waits. It's not the case here. Again, who in here has experienced this feeling? I know I have. So that's the first thing. Sometimes when we think about the Lord in times of trouble, things get worse and not better. And again, that's at least initially. You don't stay there. But sometimes that's a normal occurrence in the Christian life. Secondly, I think we can also learn this. Understand this, is that genuine faith can and sometimes does coexist with doubt. Faith can and a lot of times does coexist with doubt. I mean, think about that. Faith has doubt a part of itself. If we knew and understood something 100% and we had to act on that, that's not, not, that's not faith because we know the outcome. We know it's 100% what's going to take place. Faith intuitively asks that there's, we don't know it 100%. So therefore, sometimes we have to, we, we walk in faith to a point and we have to overcome doubt. We have to take a step over doubt. I think if we can grasp this principle for me personally, this has been one of the greatest things to help me in, the Christian, in my Christian walk. We went through the Gospel of Mark. In Mark chapter 9, verse 23, we see this principle played out. This father has a son who's possessed by a demon. He brings him to Jesus. He's been like this his whole life. Uh, and, and, and as soon as the, the son comes in the presence of Christ, he just, the, the kid loses it. And then the father asks, if you can, can you please heal him? And Jesus just takes a step back and says, if I can. I speak and this world was created. If I can help you right now? He said, of course I can help you. And he tells the man, if you believe, if you have enough faith, and this is what the man's response says, if you can, all things are possible for those who believe. And the man responded, I believe, but help me in what? My unbelief. Man, if we, if you, if I can really set our feet on this, 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 this foundational truth. It's going to help us walk through trial. Genuine faith can and sometimes is accompanied by doubt. And again, doubt is a part of faith. Faith is believing at the same time there's going to be a point where we have to take that step 
over faith. We see this, Asaph kind of alludes to this in verse 19. Look at verse 19 real quick, talking about the exodus and the children of Israel going up to the Red Sea and stopping there. And verse 19 says, your way was through the sea, your path through the great waters, yet your footprint was unseen. See, Moses, is, he, he's there with, with probably millions of people behind him. They come to the sea. Egypt is chasing them down, ready to kill them, and they can't go any further. The only place they can go is they got to step into the sea. And so by faith, Moses takes a staff and foot, and he, he puts it in the sea. He doesn't know what's going to happen. He's just like, well, Lord, let us here, so i gotta, I got to take a step of faith. i got to overcome my doubt and know that the Lord's going to work. And so he takes that step of faith. And the next thing you know, they are, they are saved. The, the, the sea opens up and Israel walks through that. But the Lord, I mean, Moses didn't see the Lord's footprint there. He just had to believe. And he overcame his doubt by taking that step. And that's sometimes what we have to do as well. And then thirdly, we learn that usually in troubled times, I think we all initially put so much emphasis on our circumstance and try to see our circumstance, and then try to find God. We begin with ourselves. We begin with our own troubled heart. We begin with our own circumstances and say, woe is me, and then we try to sprinkle on God. If you look and circle all the personal pronouns in verses 1 through 6, you see that 18 times, or roughly thereabouts, Asaph uses the, the personal pronoun I or me. His total focus, even though he's saying, I'm praying, I'm crying out to the Lord, his, still his focus is not really on the Lord, it's on himself and on his circumstance and on his situation. And we do that too all the time, don't we? When trials hit, we focus on woe is me and we look internally. But then when we see a change in verse 10, the pronouns actually, especially in verses 13 through 20, they change. Asaph's focus doesn't focus first and foremost on himself, but he first and foremost focuses on the Lord. And what we see there is 21 times the mention of God is mentioned, and only like four times is the personal pronoun I mentioned. His focus shifts, and when his eyes begin to focus on the Lord, first and foremost, then his heart starts to change. He starts to see his troubles from a different vantage point. When he focuses on the Lord, first and foremost, everything changes. And that brings us to our second point. We see the heart that perseveres in trouble. The heart that perseveres in trouble, verses 10 through 20. In verse 10, there is a shift in the psalm. Verse 10 says this, Then I said, I will appeal to this, to the years of the right hand of the Most High. I will remember the deeds of the Lord. Yes, I will remember your wonders of old. I will ponder all your work and meditate on your mighty deeds. See that Asaph changes. Yes, he's still pleading through these I will statements, but notice the object of the plea. Notice the object of the persevering prayer that we see. It's on the Lord. I will appeal to the right hand of the Lord. I will remember the deeds of the Lord. I will remember your, the Lord's wondrous of old. I will ponder your God's work and mighty deeds. And really what Asaph starts to do is he takes again his focus off himself and he starts to think and remind himself of the greatest salvation in Israel's history and that was the Exodus. In fact, you can't read Psalm 77 
without understanding and, and correlating it and reading and being reminded of Exodus 15. Exodus 15 is the song of Moses where he's remembering God's redeeming power of the nation Israel from Egypt. And all these things we, we say um, make mention or point us back to other verses in Exodus 15. They're almost quotes from Exodus 15. So mark that in your notes to go back and read Exodus 15 and compare it with Psalm 77. He says, I will appeal to the right hand of the Lord, which is Exodus 15, 6. He says, I will remember your deeds, your wonders, your mighty deeds, which is Exodus 15, 11. And then also what's mentioned here is probably the second greatest event in, in Israel's history is in verses 17 and 18, and that's when the, the children were at, at Mount Sinai, and that's where God made his covenant with them. So you have the two greatest events that, that the psalmist, that Asaph is reminded here, the covenant promises of the Lord at Mount Sinai, and then also the redemption that they received from Exodus. And what I want to focus on is I want to focus on the right hand of the Lord, that phrase, the right hand of the Lord. Because many of us, if we've been Christian, we, we have a general idea of what that means. It generally means it talks about God's power, His authority. Well, this, this, this phrase shows up 166 times in the Bible and 41 times in the psalm, the right hand of the Lord. So let me just... Um, help you, and, and, and this, was, this was really helpful for me to expand my understanding of the right hand of God, because this is what Asaph is appealing to in his prayer. Let me just rip off a number of verses. Again, Exodus 15, 6 and 12. It is your right hand, O Lord, glorious in power. Your right hand, O Lord, that shatters the enemy. So we see that the right hand of God is, is powerful. The right hand of God protects us from our enemies. In fact, it, it destroys our enemies. And then if you just type in the, the right hand of God in the Psalms, you just have, again, 41 verses lifted up, like this one. Psalm 1611. You make known the path of life. In your presence is fullness of joy and what? By your right hand are what? Pleasures forever. So there's pleasures in the right hand of God. Psalm 177. In your right hand there is refuge. Psalm 1835. Your right hand has supported me. Psalm 26, verse 6. By your right hand there is salvation. Psalm 45, 4. Your right hand teaches me your awesome deeds. Psalm 48. Your right hand is filled with righteousness. Psalm 63, 8. My soul clings to you. Why? Because your right hand upholds me. That is what the right hand accomplishes for you and me. That's what Asaph is appealing to in his time of trouble, the right hand of God. And what does he get? He gets protection, gets refuge, he gets taught, he gets salvation, and he gets pleasures forevermore. And that's just a little bit of a taste of what we see. So what we see here is Asaph is persevering in prayer. He's appealing, he's remembering, he's pondering, he's persevering through the doubts by faith, by looking back on how the Lord has, in history, redeemed his people. This is how genuine faith grows. It grows through persevering and remembering the right hand of the Lord. Perseverance, that's a word that we're familiar with, and especially in Scripture. You might be reminded of, of Luke chapter 18 and the persistent widow. You guys remember that story, the persistent widow? Um, she's looking for justice, so she, she nags this judge constantly. 
She is grinding on this judge day in and day out for justice. And the judge is like, no, don't bother me, don't bother me, don't bother I'm paraphrasing, Santini version. Don't bother me, don't bother me, don't bother me, right? And then all of a sudden he says, fine, okay, I'm going to act because you keep persisting, you keep persevering, you keep pursuing me. So I'm going to act and give you justice. This is what Asaph is doing. He's persevering. It's just not a one-time deal. He is persevering through the emotional state we saw in verses 1 through 9. You know, sometimes Rita, I feel Rita and I have this, and it goes by, vice versa. There's times where I am the persistent widow in Rita's life, and there's times where Rita is the persistent widow in my life, and there's something she's desiring, she's looking. And it's a good thing. It's a right thing. It's not a selfish thing. And she's like, hey, can we do this? I'm like, yeah, no, I don't, you know, I'm not feeling it right now. And then she just keeps persisting. And I'm like, fine, okay. But whatever it is, go get it 10 times, you know? It's like, enough. And then my kids see that, and they try. It's like, that doesn't work for you guys. That ain't working. <laughs> right? But, th- but that's what Asaph is doing. He's, 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 he's pastoring the Lord. He's persevering. He's being persistent. Charles Spurgeon said this about perseverance. He said, by perseverance, the snail reached the ark. Isn't that a great picture of what perseverance is? It's awesome. By perseverance, the snail reached the ark. And it's the same for us. As we, in the midst of our trial, in the midst of our valley, as we are crying out, as we are persevering, as we are seeking the Lord, we're pondering, we're remembering his, the history. We're appealing to the right hand of God. We will be saved from the storm eventually. Sometimes it's immediate, but sometimes it takes some time. But eventually we will be saved from our trial. And notice how this persevering and focusing on the Lord and and not on himself or circumstance. Again, Asaph starts to see, again, the Lord correctly. Verse 13, he sees the Lord as, as holy in verse 14. He sees the Lord's wonders in verse 15. He sees the Lord's redemption for his people. And what we see here is we see a progression here. Uh, the Lord starts to work on his heart in a progression. First, we see this, the, the Lord is holy. Who is in the world is like the whole, that's that. The world is like our God. That's referring back to Exodus 15, 11. And then we see it gets a little bit narrow that the Lord does works over all of the peoples or all of the nations. And finally, he really gets narrow. It gets down to redemption for the Lord's chosen people. That's where the Lord acts. That's what Asaph is reminding himself of. That is what he's seeking. And this is a great principle for us this morning. When trouble hits, Asaph, us, One of the best things that we can do is remember the greatest event of salvation in our personal history. And that's when we came to faith, the gospel, where Jesus rescued us. Let's refer to the the new Exodus. You see, Asaph in his time is looking back to the Exodus and then in our time now, we are looking back to Jesus. And we know that Jesus came and was the, the new exodus, the, the redemption that's found in Christ's life, death, and resurrection. Because he lived the perfect life in my place and your place. He died on the cross and made payment for your sin and my sin. And he rose again. He liberated us from sin, from bondage, and from death. And that's what we can do, just like Asaph. Remember the greatest salvation event in our own personal history. And that's found in Christ and the gospel. 
And if Christ has done that for us, if, if he took care of our greatest need, you see, your greatest need and my greatest need is that we are saved from sin, that we are saved from death, that we can taste life and pleasure and joy forevermore for eternity. Our biggest struggle, apart from Christ, is that we're a rebellion. We don't have that promise. Therefore, Jesus takes care of that for us. He takes care of our biggest need. And when he does that, now we know that that has been dealt with, that has been taken care of. Therefore, any other trial or any other little trouble that comes our way, we know that his grace, his love, his mercy will overcome that as well 100% of the time, all the time. Why? Because it's the lesser of the two struggles. The greater one has been taken care of. Therefore, any other lesser one will be taken care of. It's the argument from the greater to the lesser. If the greater need and trouble is taken care of, then all the lesser ones will be as well. This is how it said, Paul says in Romans 8.32, He who did not spare, he who did not hold back his own son, but gave him up for us all. That's the bigger issue. He did that for us. Therefore, how will he not also graciously, graciously give us all things? So we're in that, that valley. When we're in that trial, Asaph is saying, hey, remember salvation. Remember the Lord. And he saved you from your greatest need. Therefore, he will save you from this trial as well because it's a lesser. And we see this truth in the last verse of verse 20. See how it comes to fruition, the second half. Verse 20, because we're not only redeemed, we're not only saved our greatest need, but we're also kept. We, he saves us, but now he just doesn't leave us there in salvation, but now he, he, he shepherds us. He guides us. He leads us through these valleys. Sometimes he takes us through the valley. Why? Because he wants to get us to greener pastures on the other side. Psalm 77, 20 says, You led your people like a flock by the hand of Moses and Aaron. Again, Asaph is looking back to the Lord leading the people of Israel through the, the wilderness. For 40 years, he led them. He guided them. He provided for them. And here, we also look back to Jesus, the greater shepherd who is shepherding us toward abundant life. John chapter 10, we see the great shepherd. It says this in verse 7, So Jesus again said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. And all who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved. Greatest need. He will be saved. Lesser need. And I will go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy, but I have come that they may have life and have it abundantly. I am the good shepherd. So not only does the, the Lord save us, but he invites us. Now we're a part of the sheepfold. He is our shepherd, and now he leads, guides, and directs us, and he directs us towards abundant life, even in the midst of some deep valleys. Now, obviously, this doesn't mean we don't have any trouble in life. We will have trouble. And we know that trouble is, is building something. It's producing something in us, as James says. It's producing a, a greater faith. It's producing a perseverance. But it's also producing an abundance of life for us. Now, some of you are in the midst of suffering right now, and you're like, it doesn't feel like it's abundant life right now. It feels pretty painful, actually. And, and, and we get that. And we acknowledge that. And we weep with those who weep. Rejoice with those who rejoice. But then we've also been in trials where you know what? I actually feel the abundance of life, even in the midst of great loss, even in the great, midst of great struggle. I, I feel a joy. I have a peace. 
I was meeting with Lee Swindler yesterday. It was just a great meeting, and we were talking about walking through difficult times, and he, he mentioned a book that he was reading by this, by this gentleman. This author lost his wife, I think, mom, and daughter in a car accident. Drunk driver hit him. So this man, and he still had some other children, but he lost his wife, his mom, and his daughter in this car accident. And, and Lee said the overarching theme, and I'm sum, sum, uh, summarizing there, it's, he said this, and it's been such a, a blessing to Lee in, in walking through his suffering, and, and it became an incredible blessing to me. He said this, the author, in the midst of great suffering, it is the suffering that gives us a deeper and greater capacity to experience and enjoy life. Think about that. It is suffering that gives us a deeper and greater capacity to experience and enjoy life. Isn't that true? I mean, when when Lee said, I was like, man, I've been a Christian for 30 years, and I've heard a lot of guys talk about suffering and what it does, and that, I think, in my mind, sums up part of what it means to walk an abundant life in Christ in the midst of suffering. That the reason, one of the fruits that Jesus produces in your heart and my heart through suffering is he gives us a greater capacity to grow and gain understanding and experience in life. And we know this, right? If, if, if everything is hunky-dory the whole time and fine, there's no problem, there's no struggle, there's things that we can't experience. There's things about life we just aren't going to be able to understand. But when trials come into life, there's a depth of understanding about this world and what it means to be human. And I thought, man, that is, that is probably one of the most profound summaries that I've ever heard about suffering because it resonated so well with me in my times. And see, it just doesn't stay there. But when we suffer and experience this, then we experience the gospel. We experience the Spirit of God's comfort. We experience the community of God and what it means how people come alongside us and love us and serve us and and lift up our arms. Then we can pass that on to others that are in the midst of the same difficulty that haven't had this experience. And the Lord uses that. Isn't that good? That's incredible. Suffering, again, leads and grows our capacity to understand and experience life. And we just had a great conversation just talking about some things, and we saw it just resonated. And I don't know what, my, my faith grew from that conversation. This is what Asaph has for us this morning. Again, some of us are in the midst of the, the trial, the struggle. Some of us are in, in verses 1 through 9 right now. You're crying out. You're moaning. You can't sleep. And, and, and you can relate with Asaph right now. And, and Asaph then gives us some principles. That, hey, here's some things that are true. Let's, let's rest on these things. And then let's turn our eyes to the Lord. Let's persevere through this trial, this struggle. Let's focus on the Lord. Let's, let's grind it out together. And watch the Lord move. Remember your greatest salvation moment, and that will help you get through this difficult time. What a great psalm for us this morning. I don't know about you, but Psalm 77, I can just see for the future that this is going to be one of my favorite songs. This is going to be one of my favorite go-to psalms over and over again until the Lord takes me. How about you? Let's pray. Father, thank you for this psalm. Thank you for the reality of this psalm. Thank you for it closing out our summer in the psalms. And 
And Lord, again, there's, there's fullness of joy with you. We've had some great things happen again this summer, but we've also dealt with suffering and some trouble. And so, Lord, we again thank you for Psalm 77. We thank you for the reality of Asaph's life and, and the Lord including this in his word because of an experience that we all experience. And Lord, thank you for Asaph pointing us to the Lord, pointing us to the greater excess, point us to the great salvation found in Christ and Christ alone. And Lord, if I pray that if there's anyone in here right now that's still walking through it, and I know there is, Lord, may this comfort their soul. May your spirit comfort them through Psalm 77. And may we as a body enter in and experience and grow and serve those that are hurting right now, knowing that one day we are going to need that reciprocated to us. So Lord, again, thank you for the goodness of Psalm 77. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.